Welcome to this podcast by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, NISA. I'm Paola Buonadonna. In his spring statement, the Chancellor said that he saw light at the end of the fiscal tunnel. But in the commentary in the latest issue of our economic review, NISA researchers warned that unless something changes, this will turn out to be an illusion. They nevertheless argued that an easing of austerity is desirable, if not indeed inevitable. One of the authors of the commentary, Arno Hanscher, is here with me now. Arno, let's begin, please, by reminding ourselves of where we are. Let's talk about the seven lean years that we've just had. Okay, Paula. Um, why don't we uh, go back seven, eight years and remember where we were um, at that time. The UK had just uh, exited uh, a financial crisis that was uh, more severe than uh, most crises uh, seen before that. Um, the economy had gone down, government had to step in to rescue banks and uh, uh, provide support to the, uh, to the economy. Uh, in response to that, debt levels rose, the deficit in 2009-10, uh, the fiscal year, reached uh, under £50 billion, pounds, uh, which is, was roughly 10% of GDP, so it was an extraordinary situation back then. The political consensus was fairly wide that uh, something needed to be done to the fiscal position because over the long run that fiscal position was bound to be unsustainable and international institutions like the IMF uh, they also sort of uh, put pressure on the UK government to reduce the deficits, reduce government spending. So what happened was that uh, uh, the share of spending back then, around 45% of GDP, fell over the next seven years until most recently to below 39% of GDP. Bear in mind the long run average of spending relative to GDP is 39.3%. Uh, so now we're actually below that. So, how do we go about deciding what is the right level? of spending. How did you approach this question in your research? Because it seems more a political than an economic question. That's true. Uh, ultimately, it's a political decision on uh, how much the government is supposed to spend, how big a share of the economy is uh, driven by the government. And uh, we see very different levels across the globe. I think ultimately it should be a political decision. So uh, one way of uh, setting some sort of benchmark, what kind of level of spending is appropriate relative to um, actual spending, uh, one way of doing that would be to look at other countries. The problem is that uh, other countries may have very different uh, preferences. For example, in the US, you have a small state, relatively a small share of the economy is, uh, is um, provided by the government, is, uh, is due to government spending. Uh, and uh, consistent with that uh, are very uh, low tax rates. And this, is, and this is something that doesn't change with different governments. It's a preference that, that, that sort of is sort of like a long run typical. Exactly. exactly. So the, the opposite yes. uh, example would be uh, Scandinavian countries right. like Finland, uh, Sweden and Norway where uh, government spending is relatively high but then people are willing to pay higher taxes to finance that. So uh, this is ultimately sort of uh, driven by preferences. Now, to look at the UK-specific example, um, we said um, 
let's not just look at other countries, but let's look at uh, the history of the UK yeah. and how government spending has uh, did look like uh, between uh, the end of the war and uh, uh, the start of this uh, prolonged uh, period of fiscal consolidation uh, from uh, 2010 onwards. And this is what we did. So we tried to understand to what extent the level of spending relative to GDP was driven by a range of factors that generally drives uh, these decisions. And uh, uh, then tried to measure the sensitivity of previous UK governments to these factors. We took into account uh, spending commitments that were made, we took into account responses to the economic cycle, uh, the adjustment of spending to the fiscal position, uh, taking debt to G GDP as a measure there, and we also took into account uh, changing uh, demographic trends over time. So, for example, the share of older people in the overall population, because uh, uh, the more older people there are, the, uh, the higher will be the requirements for uh, public spending on healthcare, for example. We call the amount of spending explained by these factors warranted spending. So that would be spending warranted by previous governments in response to changes in these underlying factors that drive demand for public services and uh, public spending. And what did you find out in your analysis? What we found is that uh, indeed the first few years of uh, that fiscal consolidation period from 2009-10 until most recently, the first few years, um, the actual spending during these first few years, the actual spending path is very much consistent with uh, our estimated uh, warranted spending path. In fact, uh, our estimates uh, even suggest that uh, consolidation could have happened uh, at a slightly faster rate um, in the first three. Years so we could period. have had a deeper austerity, um, to, 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 to say it in layman's terms. <laughs> wow. Uh, not much, but uh, yeah, roughly consistent with what yeah, yeah. happened. However, um, we also estimate that then there, was a, there should have been a turning point. In other words, by now, austerity, this fiscal consolidation, has gone too far. Uh -huh. it, uh, it should be reversed. Our warranted spending estimates suggest um, we should... Um, stabilize government spending, if not sort of increase it slightly over the next uh, few years. You explain in the piece uh, various reasons why public spending keeps rising and why you don't think that it can be compressed any further, so there's a dilemma for the government. Can you give us a flavour of the challenge ahead? That's right. So um, the pressures we basically highlight in the, uh, in the report and our analysis is uh, that uh, there are a number of factors that uh, require spending to rise at the, the current point in time. Some of this to, uh, is due to a deterioration in the quality of uh, public services. There are a number of examples we cite, for example, uh, recruitment difficulties in uh, the health sector and the NHS uh, that uh, can only be offset um, by raising pay. Um, safety in prisons, uh, satisfaction with the police force, uh, etc. are factors that require some of the uh, spending that hasn't happened to uh, basically happen now in order to offset uh, and restore the quality of uh, public services. And these are now front page news stories people are noticing. Uh, people are noticing that they're spending more time waiting for a GP appointment exactly. and everything else. You yeah. see polls coming out mm. uh, with uh, people uh, acknowledging and uh, 
uh, asking the government to basically mm -hmm. raise spending, restore the quality of public services. Mm -hmm. Another factor is public sector pay. So uh, one way of achieving uh, lower spending is uh, to reduce the amount, the wages paid to public sector employees, nurses, etc. And the pressure now is very high to uh, relax pay restraints on in the public sector and increase public sector pay. We estimate in a related analysis that uh, the gap last year between uh, public sector pay and what it should have been in equilibrium was around 3%. So as private sector wages keep rising over the next few years, uh, are expected to rise over the next few years, um, public sector wages would have to rise by as much and then on top of that a little bit more to catch up uh, this, this gap that has uh, evolved. And the final point is uh, an aging population. So what is uh, different now compared to the past, the last 50-60 years, is that uh, we see a rapid rise in uh, the age of the population and the share of uh, older people that may require higher amounts of public spending. So do you think we're set for another seven lean years? And, and what do you think we should do to respond to these pressures? Well, um, the government plans really point in the direction of another seven lean years, uh, to be honest. In uh, the uh, spring state statement this year, the Chancellor has made has emphasized that uh, any additional spending would only uh, be able to uh, occur if uh, growth forecasts for the UK economy uh, improve. The OBR's uh, Office for Budget Responsibilities uh, growth forecasts are basically made uh, a conditioning factor. That means that if that doesn't happen, then uh, spending will continue to fall as a share of GDP down to below 38% uh, by 2022-23. That's a so-called fiscal rule, so the government imposes this on itself. This is in order to oblige to the government's own set fiscal rules of achieving uh, a budget deficit of zero within the next decade. Mm -hmm. However, as I've just outlined, the three main pressures on public spending are really uh, important and need to be responded to sooner rather than later. The aging population, um, deteriorations in the quality of public services and, uh, services and pressure on pay. And uh, this is why we kind of constructed an alternative scenario under which uh, Spending recovers and uh, recovers slightly above 39% of GDP, it's long-run average. That would mean that uh, over the next six years the government would have to spend uh, around £300 billion more than uh, what current plans suggest. However, this then obviously has the effect that uh, fiscal rules will be breached, the deficit rather than falling to zero, will stay around 3 to 4% over the next 6-7 years. And that would obviously um, well, be against the current rule set. So in the absence of what frankly looks like a, a, a miraculous and unlikely improvement of the UK economy in the very short term, what options do we actually have to ease fiscal austerity? That's right. I mean, how shall we do? How, how shall we deal with these fiscal rules, for example? Um, a first option, and this is what uh, governments have done uh, one after another in the past, 
is uh, to relax these rules and adjust these rules. To However, change the rules. To yeah. change the rules. Yeah. Just, uh, if, you, if you can't follow the rules, change the rules. Um, the problem with that is that uh, ultimately uh, fiscal solvency concerns will arise. Um, financial market participants, for example, uh, will question the uh, sustainability of uh, UK fiscal policy. So, what would be other alternatives? Well, going back to the discussion we had earlier about uh, kind of political preferences, one could then ask the question, well, do we want an American system with uh, low spending, a poorer quality of public services but low tax, or do we want more of a Western European system with uh, higher spending and higher tax rates? The thing is we can't have both. You can't have higher spending and, and American-style tax rates. So uh, one way to then deal with it would be uh, to raise uh, tax revenue by, by raising either general tax rates mm -hmm. or uh, introduce uh, uh, function-specific taxes like uh, a special tax for the NHS, yeah, which the, has the famous proposed. proposal about the hypothecated tax. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, now, from an economic point of view, people are often skeptical about these hypothecated taxes, mm -hmm. but uh, it may be a, a politically more feasible option. Now, a third option we discuss in our analysis is uh, to improve public sector efficiency. This is a topic that uh, people usually don't really talk about. But I think uh, it has quite some potential. It would mean that uh, public sector institutions adopt new technologies, adopt management practices uh, from the private sector and a range of other things with the goal of uh, achieving a higher quality of public services while uh, keeping the costs low. Overall, this might be the politically more feasible option instead of breaching fiscal rules or raising taxes. So is there a light at the end of this fiscal tunnel then? Well, you know, um, as, the, as the saying goes, um, the uh, light at the end of the tunnel is sometimes the light of the oncoming train. The train on our case would be a hard Brexit, a Brexit that is very disruptive uh, and would come with a considerable cost to uh, the economy, including the uh, public sector and the government. We estimate that in addition to the 300 billion uh, pounds, the government will need to spend more over the next six years. Another 50 billion, around another 50 billion, would be added if uh, Brexit negotiations fail and uh, the country would uh, revert to trade under WTO rules. That's a lot to think about and uh, uh, material for another podcast, I think. Thank you very much, Arno. This is all we've got time for today. More material from the May issue of the Economic Review, including the latest UK and world forecasts and blogs about our latest economic analysis, uh, are available on our website. Go to www.niesr.ac.uk. For now, goodbye. <laughs>